Do me a favor and trap down a Bible if you can. We've got them in baskets down by your feet. And get with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 955 in the Bibles that we have here, page 955. We're doing a series right now on identity, and I had the privilege of being a um, student minister for a long, long time um, with my good friend Shannon. She's here this morning. She's helping us with sound. She's normally up at the Beloit campus, but we did student ministry for a long time. And one of the things that consistently showed up in the lives of young people was the need to have um, the need to have the conversation about identity, because young people are trying to figure out who they are and how they fit in this world. And until they get that settled, um, it's a, it's a very confusing stage of life. And uh, we need identity because it's out of our identity that we live. So if we understand ourselves to be a certain kind of person or to, to have this certain identity, then that really shapes the choices that we make and the lives that we live. So um, I, I noticed, too, uh, that having done that for eight years or whatever it was, and then working more with adults now, we never really outgrow that. The need for having an identity that's firmly established doesn't just go away as we get older. It maybe morphs a little bit and becomes a little bit different conversation, but I think everybody really is wrestling with that fundamental question of who am I and how do I fit in this world and what does that mean? Um, So we're doing a series right now where we're looking at that and we're looking at what the Bible has to say about our identity. And Colossians chapter 3 is a letter, the the letter to um, the Colossians this section helps them to understand as a church and as individual Christians, here's who God has made you to be. And then here, here are the implications. So we're going to look at this and we're going to find out who we are. And then we're going to see also what we should do in light of that. So Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read it. We'll pray and uh, then we'll get to work. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking this morning, as we've opened your word together, we're asking that you, by your spirit, through that word, would speak over us. And I pray, God, for every person who's in here, that they would have this incredible identity that you offer us, that we would define ourselves based off of our relationship with you through our faith in Christ. I pray that people this morning, members of our campus, would would walk away just feeling like they are yours, and that when they think about themselves, they think of this reality, that they are in Christ. So by your Spirit, God, would you help us to believe that this morning? 
and then help us, Lord, to think about what that means for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you fill out uh, a description of who you are, how do you fill that in? Let's say you're on Facebook and you're doing the about section or you're on Twitter and you're doing your bio or you're just talking to somebody that you meet and they say, hey, uh, what do you do? And usually we fill that in with different titles. So for me, I could say, well, I'm a Christian, um, but I'm married to, uh, I'm a a husband, I'm married to Ashley, and uh, I'm a daddy to Reese and Harrison. And um, I could say I'm a campus pastor. Uh, I lead a work that meets at Harlem High School. And so I'm a campus pastor, or, or I could say, you know, I'm a skateboarder, like I grew up riding sideways, and I just love that, that element of culture, and, and that's a big part of who I am. We can fill it in in a bunch of different ways, but what we need to get to is the place where we say that as Christians, our primary identity isn't just in the stuff that we do, but our primary identity is Christ. And when I looked at this passage this week, I really had a hard time wrestling with the language because it is so bizarre. When we, here's how Paul is putting it. He's saying Christians are people whose identity is hidden with Christ in God. What on earth does that mean? What does it mean for me to say, here's my identity. My life is Christ. My life is him. That's weird, right? But it's saying that Christians are people who have placed their faith in Christ, and they have come to so closely identify with him that they look at him as their identity. So as a Christian, I'm able to say, my identity is Christ. My life is him. And I find my purpose and my meaning based off of that. I I find out who I am based off of that relationship. Now, that's very bizarre, but that's an incredible gift that God gives to us. He's telling us that you can actually have an identity that is gifted to you that's incredibly durable, that, that, that helps you to navigate life because this reality of being in him becomes a defining characteristic of who you are. And so you don't have to worry about striving after being great. Um, this has been a thing that I've wrestled with my entire life. I've always thought to myself that somehow, in some way, I was going to do something very significant. And so even when I started into ministry, I thought to myself, starting into um, student ministry, I, I thought to myself, okay, we've got these young people, and we're going to change the world. I'm going to lead these people. They're, they're going to get on fire for God, and they're going to do incredible things for God's glory. And I began to, th- I thought that way, and it wasn't long before that ambition had to be tempered by humility. And I began to realize, oh, maybe that's not how it's going to play out. And there was an afternoon one time where I was talking to Ash, and I just started crying. And she's like, what on earth is going on? And I was coming to grips with the fact that I am a youth pastor in a basement of a church, and I don't think anyone's ever going to know who I am. Because I had this identity in that moment that was saying, for me to have significance, I have to do something noteworthy that everyone will notice, that everyone will rise up and say, man, Corey, what an awesome guy. I was in his youth group. He changed my life. I'm doing great things for for God's kingdom now. I had this identity that was bound up with 
needing to achieve something incredible. But here's what the Bible is telling us here. If you have this identity of being in Christ, you no longer have to strive. You, you no longer have to think, I'm going to do the, these incredible things. Some of you guys are teachers, and maybe when you first started, you thought, I'm going to be the best teacher ever. Uh, maybe, you know, your experience tempered that real quick. But many of us, we look at the stuff we do and we go, I really want to be excellent at this, and I really want to be noticed for it. But God is saying, I can give you an identity that you can rest in. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try to prove yourself. You can, you can say your greatest accomplishment is in heaven. Your life is Christ. Your greatness is hidden in Christ with God. That's part of the gift that God gives us as Christians so that we can actually rest. We can just believe, we can believe what God has done for us, and then we can just enjoy that. And we call that around here, we call that gospel confidence. It's when we realize the gift that we have because of our relationship with God. The second thing that's really significant about this is when you have this identity, it's very durable. You don't have to worry about losing it. C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he once said, um, don't let your happiness depend on something you might lose. Don't allow for your happiness to be bound up with something that could go away. And God is telling us that you can have an identity that you don't have to worry about losing because your identity is Christ. It's what Christ has done for you. And so you don't have to worry that that thing's going to fade or, or perish or, or, or just, you know, for you to lose it. It's, it's a reality. And so when you have that, it makes you a durable person. There's a season in my life, I've told this story many times, so be patient with me, but there was a season in my life when I was doing the action sports ministry and I was traveling around and we were using skateboarding and wakeboarding and snowboarding to try to reach uh, the subculture of that skate surf snow culture of kids. And we were saying, maybe a church service couldn't get them, but we'll go to them and we'll do these sports together with them and we'll share the message of the gospel. And uh, one, one year I was down in Orlando and I was training, it was the off season, and I crashed and I messed my arm up and I had to have surgery. So I came home and I had this... Uh, it was a unique injury, so it was a unique surgery, and it was, it, it was hard because I didn't know, would I be able to go back to doing this sport? And I healed up, and I did therapy, and I was able to go back. Um, but then 18 months later, I tore my ACL doing that sport. And um, it was at that point that it was, I was beginning to think, am I going to be able to continue to do this thing now? Two major surgeries in the span of 18 months. And so now I'm wrestling with, is this even a good idea, right? But I'm thinking to myself, can I, keep, can I keep doing this? Now, there were a lot of things going on in my life at that moment, and all of it was being disrupted. So not only did I get injured as an athlete and have uncertainty there, but also this was the season when Ash and I had finally started dating. And if you know our story, I spent eight years trying to convince Ashley to call me a boyfriend. And I finally did it. So I was like, yes. And then in that, in that season, she had finished up her nursing degree and applied to different places and got a job in Chicago. And her best friend was living in the city, so she was going to move in there and start her new job. And, and so there was a part of me that was devastated by that as well, that we were moving in different directions now. And then here's the third piece that was going on. 
um, it was the off season of that ministry, and, and now I'm looking at my vocation. Here's the thing that I have decided to give my life to, that I'm the pioneer of this action sports ministry. I'm, I'm the director of it. It's a new ministry. It's not self-sufficient yet. It's not self-sustaining yet. I'm not making any money yet. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, man, I really screwed up. So when you begin to look at the anatomy of what's going on here, think, think with me about this. All of these major categories of my identity were being disrupted. I would consider myself a skateboarder, but if you can't skateboard, are you really a skateboarder? I, I, I thought that this girl I was going to spend the rest of my life with, and when she's moving away and, and, and our relationship is moving apart, all of a sudden it's like, well, what's going on? That's, that's what I thought was going to be my life. And then I'm looking at my vocation and, and how I make a living, and I'm looking at that and I'm just wondering, man, is this, is this it? So here's the question that I had to wrestle with. Who am I? If all these other parts of my life that were so important to me now are broken or missing, who am I? And it was a really hard season as, you, as I had that surgery and I'm sitting there with my leg immobilized and I'm having to wrestle with God over, I don't know who I am anymore. And I don't like how this is shaking out and I'm not sure what my future holds. But that was all very disruptive because God was doing something redemptive. He was helping me in that season to build my life not off of wakeboarding or relationships or a vocation. He was building my life on Christ. And I came out of that season, and I came out of that season with a greater awareness of the most significant thing in my life will never be my ministry. It'll never be my activities. It'll never even be my relationships. My greatest, my greatest accomplishment in life is my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. But it makes, you, it makes you a very durable person then. It makes you somebody who can, who can handle the, the, the upsets of life, the difficulties and the challenges of life. When you have an identity that is Christ himself, now you are suited to go through all of these different experiences believing that you are his. And that means that you're the kind of person who says, my life is with him. It makes you a very heavenly-minded person. You become preoccupied with the things of heaven. Now, this is a little bit bizarre, but it's saying that when that is your identity, you cannot stop daydreaming about Christ who is your life. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. If you're a believer, you are spiritually raised with him. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's saying that when that is your identity, that's where your heart and your mind gravitate to. That's what you should be daydreaming about. You should be sitting around thinking through Christ and who he is and what he's done for you and how incredible that is. And you just constantly go back to that over and over and over again because that is your life. That is your identity. You should be thinking about your Savior who has gifted you with the identity that you have. And you might think, Cor, that sounds really strange, what you're suggesting here. You just want me to daydream about Christ? You just want me to sit around and think about him and think about what he's done for me? And, and you might even think that's not even, that doesn't even sound practical or helpful. 
We have some, some sayings in our culture, some idioms in our culture that say things like, uh, that person's head is in the clouds. And that's not a positive thing. We're saying that person, you know, they're, they're, they're always somewhere else. They're thinking about other things. And we can say it positively when we say that person is grounded. That person is firmly planted. We look at people and we say that person, they have a good head on their shoulders and they're, firmly, they're, they're grounded, they're firmly planted. This is telling us that Christians whose identity they recognize is in Christ, they're sitting around daydreaming about him. They're sitting around thinking about him. They're cherishing and loving him because of what he's done for us. And the truth is, that actually will change how you live. It'll, it'll make you more helpful and more productive. I can't say it better than C.S. Lewis. He wrote about this in, in Mere Christianity. And he wrote about this critique of people who look at Christians who are thinking about heaven, and they might say, they're no earthly good because they're so heavenly-minded. So he writes like this, a continued looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the, who, who did the, the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. We need to be people who are constantly thinking about heavenly things, who are setting our minds and our hearts on Christ, who is our life. We are, we're thinking about him and what he's done, and, and, and that will inform the way that we live. So let me ask you, friends, how do you define your identity? When you think about who you are, what is the, f- the fundamental reality about you? How would you fill that in? And if it's not Christ... Why not? Today, God is offering us the ability to place our faith in him and receive this incredible identity of being in Christ. That's who we are as Christians. Secondly, we find here what we do. If, we, if that's who we are, that actually has an effect on the way that we live. We live our lives as an overflow of our identity. So if we are in Christ and we are thinking about him and he is our life, That doesn't mean that we just kind of walk around unconcerned about earthly things or unconcerned about choices that we make. We actually become the kind of people who are more like him. So let's look at that now. In verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It's saying, in light of who you are in Christ, therefore, put things to death that do not fit with that identity. Put to death whatever is opposed to to that reality of Christ himself. Realize who you are and look at your life, and if you find things that maybe are offensive to God, don't just be okay with that. Figure out a way to put that thing down. 
John Owen, a, a Puritan pastor, he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. It's an excellent old book, but it talks about this reality. Christians are people who need to look at their lives and find things that are sin, and we need to figure out how to kill those things. And Owen put it like this, either you kill sin or sin will kill you. So Christians are people who think, if my identity is in Christ, I'm going to look at every aspect of my life that doesn't sync up with that, and I'm going to, if, if there are sin patterns in my life, I'm going to put those away. I'm going to do away with those in the power of the Spirit. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. As you look at this list of different sin patterns, does anything jump out at you as something that God, by His Spirit, in this moment might be identifying and saying, this is something that we need to address. If you're my child, and if you are in me, this doesn't fit. Become who you are. Begin to live out of the overflow of that identity and put to death the misdeeds of the body. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. This is the former way of life. And, and when we look at these sin patterns and we, we think about them, we need to recognize this is not appropriate anymore because we're being made new. But this is how we used to do things, and it used to come very naturally. So a couple of years ago, I got together with some high school buddies, and we went up to a snowboard mountain, and we were riding on the chairlift, and we were telling stories about when we were in high school, telling stories about going snowboarding and you know the different shenanigans that we did. And we were just kind of retelling the stories. And in that moment, and then in the days following, I actually became, became very discouraged because I started to listen to how I told these stories about choices that I was making back then. And I thought to myself, I was an obnoxious jerk as a teen. Like I looked at my life and I looked at the way that I made fun of other people and, and the way that I was selfish in, in my entire orientation to life. And, and I look at that and I, I was just discouraged by it because I looked back and I said, this was my former way of life and this is just what I was. And we look back on that and that's just who we were. But then I also got encouraged because I began to see that's no longer who I am. That's no longer who I'm becoming. God, by his grace, is changing me. So when we look at our lives and we begin to think my identity is in Christ and I'm going to shape my life around that profound truth, recognize that there was a former way of life, but now there's this, new, this newness and God is making you new and recreating you in his image. Look at verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. This is, this is now, it's moving to, from just a, you know, talking about Christianity in general, and now it's beginning to look at relationships. And Paul is now, he's turning a corner and he's saying, when you understand your identity in Christ, it changes everything. It changes how you deal with people. And he'll go on in the remainder of the letter to talk about how this influences your family relationships and your church relationships and how it influences your parenting and your working and all these different things. But now we're looking at this verse 8 and we're realizing there is, a, there is a relational component here. That if our identity is in Christ and we are aligning our lives to following him, it has to begin to show up in the way that we deal with other people. All of these different sins are sins of relationship. Anger, rage, malice, slander, 
abusive language. All of that is threatening harmony in the, in the friendships that we have. So if you want to understand if the identity of Christ is really taking root in your life, look at how you deal with people. How do you deal with people on social media who differ from you politically? How do you deal with people in the church who do things that are just abrasive and they just rub you wrong? Do you get angry? Do you begin to slander? Do you, do you, do you have malice in your heart toward them? A Christian is somebody whose identity is so firmly rooted in Christ that that stuff is going away. We're learning to love and be gentle and kind just like Jesus himself was. We're learning to be patient and gracious, just like he was. So we need to be people whose lives are being changed, and I do think the relationships will illustrate that. The way that we deal with other people will help us to see whether or not we are living in, in this identity that God has given to us. When I um, tore my other ACL recently, which by the way, you might think, how often are you broken, dude? Pretty often. I was, I'm really good at that. But when I tore my ACL recently, and, and I was at home, and I was just reading a few different books, I read a biography about a pastor named Charles Simeon. And the thing that stands out to me about that biography was this individual, he was in London a long, long time ago, but he had an identity in Christ that showed up in so many ways in the way that he did ministry and in the way that he dealt with people. And it was inspiring to me. And in that biography, it talked about when he first got hired as a pastor of a church. He was appointed, that somebody appointed him, and the congregation had been around for a long, long time, and they were very opinionated, and they had a preference for somebody other than him. So he gets appointed to the, to the position, and they let him know real quick, we don't like you, we don't want you to be our pastor. And what they did back then was, it was kind of weird, I'm not sure I totally understand it, but I think what they did was they fell in love with their chairs at church. And one of the things that they, which is what we do, right? You find your chair, you're always in the same spot each week. You fall in love with your chair. That's what they did. But they began to give money so that they had rights to their pew, to their chair. And then on the ends of them, they put locks. And so when Simeon started as a pastor, and they wanted to let him know, we don't want you here. They locked all the pews. So he comes to work. He comes to church on a Sunday morning. He's like, okay, I'm going to preach. And all of the chairs are, are unavailable. And people would come in. The, the few people who wanted him there would come in, and they'd have to sit in the aisles. And here's what he did. He, okay, let me tell you first what I would do. If I came in here and you guys said, get lost, Buster. We don't like you. What would I say? I... I don't have to put up with you jokers. I don't have to deal with this. These guys are ungrateful. They're not, they're not, they're not responding the way that they should. And I, I could respond with anger or malice or slander or any number of different things. Here's what, here's what Simeon did. I think it was because of his identity in Christ, he looked at this scenario and he just said, I am going to behave in the most Christ-like way I know uh, to do. I'm just going to do this as best as I possibly can. And he began to preach to this group that sat in the aisles, and he began this ministry, and it ended up being a very incredible ministry. He was there for 50 years, and, and people, after the fact, they noticed how, um, how he ordered himself. In fact, one of the preaching courses that I've taken is named after Charles Simeon, the Simeon course 
on biblical preaching. So he loved them, and he chose in that moment to persist in that love. And here's what I'm saying. I think it is because he knew his identity. He knew his, the, the fact that God loved him and called him, and he just said, look, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to get ugly like people are getting ugly toward me. I'm going to live out of this overflow of my identity in Christ. And, and I found that to be very, very impressive. Listen, friends, when we understand our identity, it changes our lives. It helps us to become more and more like our Savior. It, it's a process that God is working in us. We are putting off this old way of life, this selfish way of life, and we are putting on this new way of life, and it is the life of Christ. Look at the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10 where it says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We are being, if we understand our identity, we are being renewed, we're being made new in the image of our creator. And there's this reality that we're taking things off and putting things on. And I want to suggest to you that if you want to do this well, learn to love the things that you're putting on. Harrison is four years old. He's my son. And he falls in love with outfits, uh, like his uh, Iron Man sweater. He'll, you know, the Iron Man, the action figure dude, he'll, he'll, uh, the Marvel dude, he'll put this sweater on. And then he just wants to wear it everywhere. And he wants to wear it to bed, and he wants to wear it to all these different things. He'll put something on, and he'll fall in love with it, and he'll say, I'm wearing this. And then it'll get dirty, and we'll say, okay, we need to change this thing out. And I can try to force him to change. Say, look, I'm dad. I get to call the shots here. You're taking this thing off. It's filthy. But here's what I found to be way more effective. I find another outfit that he loves more. Jammies that have Iron Man and Hulk and Thor on them. And all of a sudden, he looks at that and he goes, oh, yeah, 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 no problem. Takes it off, puts the new thing on. Christians should be people who are not just trying to force off these old habits that we, that we cherish and go, oh, I know I'm supposed to change. I got to get rid of this thing. I don't really want to get rid of this thing. Christians should be people who are looking at this new way of life that God is granting us, and, and we should be able to say, well, that's far better. To put that on, it would be more beautiful. To put that on would actually display the beauty of Christ in my life in a more profound way. We need to stop just looking at the stuff that we cherish and start looking at what God is offering to us. And we put off this old way of life by putting on these new things. That's the process. And then we are in knowledge. We are being renewed in the image of the Creator. We are being made more and more like our Savior. So the identity that God offers us in Christ, it is a life-changing identity. You can have a friendship with God through belief in Jesus Christ so that you would be able to say, my life, the main thing about me is hidden in Christ with God. It's there. My life is in heaven right now. That is my treasure. That is my desire. That's what's most significant about me. And then you become a person who is preoccupied with it, daydreaming about Christ, thinking about him, reflecting on him, loving and cherishing him, and then your life will begin to be transformed more and more into his likeness. So I'm going to pray right now, and uh, I'm going to ask that if you would, you would stand, 
and I want to pray over us, and uh, we'll, we'll bow our heads, and the band will come at the same time, but, but I want to take a minute to just allow the Holy Spirit to help us apply these different things. Lord, for anyone in here who has not found their identity in you, would you whisper over them that personal and profound invitation that today they can trust in Christ and be made new. And, and I just pray for anyone who's maybe contemplating that or wrestling with whether, whether or not to do that, would you give them courage to take a step of faith today and make it known? But all of us, God, I think we all struggle with identity. It's easy to drift away from awareness of these things. Some of us have been Christians our entire lives, and we never really think about this. We never really think about who we are in Christ, and we never allow it to profoundly shape anything, let alone our lives and our decisions. So God, in this moment, by your Spirit, would you remind us of who we are, and then help us to become that. In Jesus' name, amen.